0: We're going to be in um, James chapter 4, and I'm just going to take you through uh, a few verses. Now, we talked about James 1 and 2, and then last week, uh, Pastor Eli gave a great word out of James 3. Today, I want to take you to James 4, beginning in verse 13. All right, so just follow along with me. Uh, James says, now listen, you who say, today or tomorrow, we'll do this or that, uh, we'll go to this or that city spend a year there, we'll carry on business and make money, Why, you do not even know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if it's the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast and you brag, and all such boasting is evil. Anyone then who knows the good he ought to do and doesn't do it, sins. All right, guys, today we're going to talk about the future. We're going to talk about something that everybody wants to think about, everybody wants to know about, and that is what's up? What's going to happen next? You know, people make a lot of money telling people what's going to happen in the future, economic forecasters or people who claim they know what's around the next corner for one industry or another. And in fact, I was talking to our staff about this. Uh, we go to a lot of conferences, we try to learn from other great leaders, and um, lately I've been noticing a lot of Church leadership speakers have a new title for themselves. They call themselves a futurist. Like like normally when when I speak at a conference, it's like Jerry Lawson, lead pastor. That's it. Or maybe founding pastor or something like that. Their title is like John Smith, futurist or cultural architect. And I I have to admit, I snickered just a little bit to hear those titles because as I told our staff, like I heard them all speak about the future. I never once heard anybody tell me about 2020. Before it happened, like, uh, or if they're a cultural architect and they drew this up, we need our money back on that architecture plan. All right, so like the truth is, nobody knows what's going to happen in the future, and and James four really tells us that in in verse thirteen, he's saying stuff like you know it sounds like two businessmen. They say they're going to go on a trip. They're going to go to this town. They're going to do this business. They're going to make this amount of money, but if you look at it, their plan has three major flaws in it, and. 2,000 years later, I see us, Christian people, making the same flaws with our plans. So so really simple. Take out your notes. I'm going to show you three mistakes we make about the future. And the first one is really obvious. These men were planning without God. They knew where they were going to go, how long they were going to be there, what they were going to do, and how much money they were going to make. But there is not a single mention of God in the plan. And listen, it's wonderful to have goals and dreams and set big plans for yourself and, you know, hope to do some things like that. But you've got to put God at the center of those plans. This guy's plan is all about self-sufficiency and making it on his own. And I don't know if you know this, but here's a fact. You can be a believer in Jesus Christ and leave Jesus in the church when you go out the doors. People do it all the time. Man, they are full on. They, 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 they're all dressed up for church. They brought their Bible. They, they read their Bible. They know the Bible. They believe in the words that we're preaching. They enjoy the worship and they make decisions that they're going to do something. But actually what they do is they walk out of the door and everything is left left. Right here. I know people that do this all the time. They make all their plans without God. They decide where they're going to college, who they're going to date, eventually who they'll marry. Will we have kids? How much money will we spend on this car? All these decisions, and they leave God. And, and, and in the words of Pastor Craig Rochelle, they are Christian atheists. They are people who believe in Christ, but they live like he doesn't exist. Are you a Christian atheist? Like, do you have this deep belief that God is real, but really, if we followed you around, You don't involve him in your life? Maybe I could say it like this better. If you were put on trial today for being a Christian, would there be enough evidence to convict? James is telling us that our life ought to be centered around what God's will is. In fact, in verse 15, he says, instead of saying we're going to do this and we're going to do that, what you should say is if it's the Lord's will, we will live and do this or do that. And the key word you need to circle is if. Because our life is all about the ifs. If there's anything we've learned in the last 18 months is that we don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. 2,000 years ago, James says, you don't know tomorrow. And man, the last two years, he's proven to be 100% accurate. The truth is, I don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. I don't know what the stock market's gonna do with my 401k. I don't know what the price of gas is gonna be or if I can afford to fill my tank to get to work. I don't know what's gonna happen in relationships because there's another person and I absolutely cannot predict what they do. And if I'm honest, I can't always predict what I do. Can I get an amen in the house? Like like, there's so much that I don't know what's going on and I can sit back and freak out about it. A lot of people do live in fear uh, continually about what this or this could happen or this terrible thing could happen. But but here's what I prefer to do. I prefer to recognize that while I don't know what's going on, I know someone who knows everything about everything and he lives inside of me. Come on, somebody give Jesus praise right now. Go ahead and clap your hand and thank him right now. He knows everything about everything and he lives inside of you. And that is why I want to make sure I am at the center of his will. That doesn't mean the gas prices are going to be different for me than it is for you or somebody else. It doesn't mean that everybody that I'm in relationship with is going to behave. Sometimes it doesn't even mean I'm going to behave. But it means I've got an abiding presence and a peace that says, wherever I'm going, I know He's going to go with me. Did you know that for centuries, Christians would close out every letter they would write to anyone else with two initials, DV, DV. And it's a Latin phrase. It stood for a Latin phrase, Deo valente. And it means Lord willing. Literally, it was customary to not say, I'm going to do this or go here, or this is what my life is going to be, without just adding Lord willing. And, you know, a lot of people have turned that into some religious phrase. They'll, They'll get the phrasing right, but not really live their lives right. James tells us how we ought to live it. Or Actually, this is from Solomon. Uh, Proverbs 16 and when he says, we can make our own plans, but the Lord gives the right answer. This is why I want to be in the center of God's will. Here's my challenge to you. Stop praying, Lord, bless what I'm doing and start praying, Lord, help me to do what you're Blessing. I want to say that a second time just so you let that sink in. We need to stop praying, Lord, bless what I'm doing, and start praying, Lord, help me to do what you're blessing. See, God already knows the right answer. And if I'll find myself in His will, I'll find myself in His blessing. That's the first thing. First mistake we make is that we plan without God. Now, here's the second mistake they made and we still make today, we presume about tomorrow. We presume we this is going to happen tomorrow. This is going to happen next year. Here's my five-year plan. Here's my 10-year plan. This is what's going to happen. And and James says this about that in verse number 14. He says, why, you don't even know what will happen tomorrow. You're going to tell me what you're going to do in the next year. You don't even know what's going to happen tomorrow. What is your life? You're a mist that appears for a little while, and then it vanishes away. I, I looked that up. Did you know the Bible calls you your life? in different places a mist a leaf a blade of grass a shadow a cloud a vapor a puff of smoke what god's trying to tell you is you are one heartbeat away from eternity i don't care how young you are I, i've i've performed funerals for newborns for adolescents for teenagers for 90 for a person over 100 you might think you're one year away from achieving your dreams from retiring, from hitting a mark where you have a financial goal met, from reaching that big position at work. You're just one year away, but you don't know it could end in the next moment. And that's why we have to live every moment without arrogant presumptions about our life, about our future. Live every moment with eternity in mind. Don't throw away. You don't have any moments to waste. You don't don't want to be like this guy in Isaiah 56. Come, they say, let us Uh, Get some wine and have a party. Let's all get drunk. Then tomorrow, we'll do it again, and we'll have an even bigger party. Now, somebody just went, finally, a Bible verse I can wrap my head around. All right, if that's what you're thinking, you just need to delete that off your screen. (laughs) Get get that out of your notes. But, you know, a lot of people, this is really their attitude. You know, you only live once. You know, hashtag YOLO. You know, do what you want to do today. You only live once. Actually, that's not accurate. You don't just live once. You're gonna live and you're gonna die, and you're gonna live again. Watch this. Here's, here's what your Bible says: Hebrews 9 and 27. Each person is destined to die once, and after that comes judgment. So, so when you die, it's not all over when you die. In fact, the Bible says if we don't, if we don't face judgment well, there's a second death awaiting us, which is hell and eternity uh, apart from God. Some people you know, we'll say like, I'm just working for the weekend. You know, I'm just getting through the week. I just want to get to that weekend and, and, and enjoy it and have a good time and maybe do some of this stuff that we read a minute ago. But, but some people are living for the weekend. Like their whole life is about just trudging through stuff to get to a moment of happiness. What if you lived for eternity? Listen, you're going to live forever. Elbow somebody and tell them you're going to live forever. Get, get that in your head. You're going to live forever. So you can't live for the weekend. You can't live for the moment. You've got to live with eternity in your heart. And Jesus said these words, don't be anxious about tomorrow. God will take care of your tomorrow. Live one day at a time. Live this day thinking about God's eternal purpose and plan for your life. This is the only day that you've been promised. So live it to the full. Somebody said that life is what happens when you're making plans for your future. That's so true. This right here, this right now, this is your life. This is let that let that sink in. What you did last week, think about the last six days. That's your life. That's the life you have. What's going to happen tomorrow? What do you have on the planet? That's your life. And, and as the great Christian theologian Andy Bernard from The Office once said. He said, I, I wish there was a way to know you're living in the good old days while you're still in those days. The, the truth is, today is the good old days that you're going to talk about 20 years from now. So, so, so start living them right now with purpose. Start living them right now like there's something that matters. And that is why we cannot afford to make this third mistake. We've, we've, we first plan without God. We do our thing, we go set our goals, we live our lives without him. Then we presume about tomorrow, like we're going to live forever, so it doesn't really matter if we miss this or don't do the right thing today. But here's the biggest mistake is when we put off doing good that is right in front of us, that we know God wants us to do. And James says this about it in verse 17, if anyone knows the good they ought to do and doesn't do it, it is what? Shout at church, it is sin. It is sin for them procrastination is a sin and a trap it's a double whammy because procrastination is the process where you figure out what you're supposed to do you know you're supposed to do it and you just don't do it and see it becomes a trap because when you when you make a decision to do the right thing you feel better about it before you ever did the right thing isn't that right Actually, I read some research about that, about how the endorphins are released into your brain. There's actual a chemical reaction in your brain that makes your whole body feel good when you make a good decision. Maybe you came to church. Maybe you heard a message and you made a decision. Maybe you made a promise to God. Maybe you set some goals and you told your friends about those goals and you start to feel better about making that decision. But listen, making a decision is not the same as making a change. Making a decision is not the same as making a change. Real change takes action. And that's why procrastination becomes a trap, because you feel like you did something when you thought about doing it. And it's the, one of the most dangerous places. When you think about sin, what, what, what is sin to you? What is your definition of sin? Most people would say, "What well, is it's stealing, it's lying, it's hurting someone, it's, you know, it's, it's committing adultery. But that's just one type of sin. Actually, there are two types of sin. There are sins of commission. You commit a sin. You do something wrong. You hurt someone. You you do the wrong thing. And that's what we normally think about. When we think about sin. <clears throat> we think about, you know, that old f- adage about the old church that says, you know, I don't cuss or dip or chew and I don't date girls that do, you know. That's great. That's a good start. All right. Um, certainly don't date a girl that chew. I don't know how you would kiss that girl. Anyways, um, but Christian life is not just about avoiding evil things it's about doing good things. Actually that's most of it. Most like this 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 top line sense of commission don't do these things. That's like maybe maybe a tenth of of walking in Christ. But there James is talking about sense of omission when you omit the things that you know you ought to do. the the, the things that God has put inside of your heart to to make a difference in somebody's life, to invest in someone else. It's the kind of thing where you say, man, one of these days, I'm going to go all in for Jesus. Man, one of these days, I'm just going to chase after God. I'm going to be that kind of person that I know God fully wants me to be. I've just got to get this and I've got to get that. One of these days, let me tell you, that's the most dangerous trap because you're fooling yourself into believing that you've changed. And God is saying, do it now. One of these days, man, I'm going to really become a better uh, spouse. I'm going to work on my marriage. Do it now. One of these days, man, I'm going I'm to do my devotions. Day. Do it now. One of these days, I'm going to share my faith. One of these days, I'm going to lead a small group. I'm going to become a a, a business owner. I'm going to step out and, and start that business that I think God put in my heart. Do it now. I'm going to start tithing. I'm going to go on that mission trip. Do it now. I'm going to marry that godly girl that I'm dating. Let me do it now. Let me tell you how hard it is to find a godly woman. And if you have found her, cling to her like death. All right, don't let her go. Okay? Do it. Marry her. Get on one knee. Ask her to marry you. Do the thing that God has put in your heart right now. James says if anyone knows the good they ought to do and doesn't do it, it is sin. See, your whole life comes down to three things. Three, three different ways you spend your life. You can invest your life. Uh, let, me, let me go the other way because that's the highest part. You can waste your life. Or you can spend your life or you can invest your life. Everybody understands what, what it is to waste your life. When you waste your life, you, you just spiral out of control. You just live for personal momentary pleasure. It ends up in addiction and, and out of control, destruction, selfishness and destruction. That's wasting your life. And most people, you know, they don't really live their life that way. They mature beyond those kind of destructive tendencies. And so they spend their life, what I call spending your life. And this is what people celebrate. They go after good things, the American dream, you know. The, the marrying the right person, you know, uh, winning at, at life, having status and position and money and fame and all that. And most people celebrate you when you don't waste your life, but you spend your life on good things. But I think God would say, I don't want you to waste your life. and I don't even want you to spend your life. I want you to invest your life. Pour all of your life into something that outlives you. Do something with your life that goes beyond you. And you know, the only things that go beyond you are kingdom things. The kingdom of God, like people of God, made in God's image. Spend your life, invest your life on people. Invest your life in God's church, in God's kingdom. Invest your life in God's word. Jesus was the one who said, if you seek first his kingdom, all the other things will be given to you. One of the greatest examples of this, one of the most inspirational Christian leaders of a generation was a guy named Jim Elliott. And you know, he never lived to see 30 years old. But he was a missionary who literally gave his life sharing the gospel with an unreached people group in a tribal part of uh, South America. And, And because he died doing that and the incredible courage of his wife after him, a whole tribe of people came to follow Jesus. His name was Jim Elliott. And, and he said this. This is one of the, probably his most famous and lasting quote, and it is stripping with wisdom. He is no fool who gives up that which he cannot keep, for that which he cannot lose. My goodness, that's the <laughs> that's the closest to scripture that I'll ever read from this stage. That didn't come from the Bible. There are some things you cannot keep. You can't. I mean, you won't keep your 401k. You won't keep your house. You won't keep your reputation and your status. After you're gone, we're going to live fine without you. Can I just tell you in love? We're going to cry and weep and we're going to miss you. But all that stuff you built up about your life is going to be gone. But there are other things that you cannot lose. Man, the things that you've done for someone else, the things, the way you've invested in God's kingdom, it doesn't matter. A lot of the things that you can't keep, you lose at death, and and a lot of them you lose before death because it's out of your control. But there are some things you cannot lose, and that's what I ought to be living for. I'm going to see Jesus face-to-face one day. I want to do now the things that I want to live for, and I want to see live beyond me. Do you remember the story of the talents? One of, one of my favorite, and it's probably not one of the most famous, parables that Jesus told. But Jesus told uh, a story in the Gospels about uh, a landowner who went away, and he had a lot of talents, which means um, measures of money. And he gave five to one, and uh, one of his managers, and he gave two to one of his managers. Both of those guys put that money to work. They made investments out of that money, turned it into five guy. Uh, the guy with five turned it into 10. The guy with two turned it into four. But there was one guy who was only given one and he thought, I don't have enough. And so what I'll do is I'll just be careful with it. And he buried it. He did nothing with it. And when Jesus came back, he's like, hey, here it is. Here's the one that, that, I, that you gave me. See, I didn't lose it. And, and I, it's a shocking response from Jesus. He gets really ticked off. And he he says he calls him a wicked and lazy servant, and he takes away what he had given him, and he casts him into outer darkness, where there is weeping and gnashing of teeth. I don't know if I've ever been around gnashing of teeth, but it sounds awful, right? Like if you want to get Jesus mad, just do nothing. Do nothing with what he's given you. I I mean, are you planning on doing something for God? Do it then. Do it right now because God blesses you as you go. man. You you know when Peter learned how to walk on water? When he was walking on water. (laughs) He blesses you when you go. He told the early apostles when they weren't gifted or, or, or trained speakers and they didn't know what even to say. What he said was, open your mouth and after your mouth is open, I'll fill it with the words that you're supposed to say. I mean, that, that's how God accomplishes great things in your life. I'm not saying you don't plan. I'm not saying you don't work on it. I mean, Pastor Tom and Deborah, they're working and planning. They've been talking with me for months. I might even say years about the eventuality of launching it. There's a lot of planning that goes in, but eventually you just say, okay, God, there's a lot I can't figure out. I'm just going to go. I'm just going to take that step of faith and go. And God is calling some of you. This message is for you to go do something right now. If he's put something in your heart, marry that girl, start that business, join the ministry, launch that church, do something that God's put in your heart and he'll bless you as you go. Stop procrastinating. Stop analyzing and overanalyzing. You know that overanalysis leads to paralysis, right? Maybe you're not even analyzing the situation. You're analyzing other people. You're looking back and you're judging other people. You know, there's a, there's a real problem in, in the world today, in the Christian world today. People who are love Jesus and they're followers of Jesus but aren't doing a whole lot for Jesus are sitting back and analyzing and might I even say judging those who are. Let I me mean, just go and tell you every single person Present company, definitely included. Every single person who's ever stepped out to do something for God is a flawed and imperfect person. And if you sit back and stare at them long enough, you're gonna find many things that they did wrong and, and poorly. Here's what I've learned. The busier I am doing what God put in my heart, the less time I have judging you for what God put in your heart. I don't know if you're clapping, getting up and leaving in protest right now, but the Holy Spirit's like, go Jerry in my heart right now God's called you to do something don't sit back don't wonder don't delay do what God's called you to do I'll give you one more story and then we'll wrap up the apostle Paul stands before King Felix who is the king of the northern part of, of ancient Israel and he's 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 brought Paul's been arrested and he's brought before Felix And and Paul, man, Paul just does what he does. He's not bowing down. He's not begging for his life. He doesn't care, man. He's living for eternity. He's already given away the things that he can't keep, you know, for the things that he can't lose, you know, in the words of Jim Elliot. So he's just like, hey, king, there's a king above you and his name is Jesus. And he died for you, man. And he has a purpose for your life. And you need to go do something that matters. Don't just occupy this position. Felix is enamored and he's like, Man, I love hearing this guy. And you know what? I want to hear more, but it's not convenient for me right now. And when, it's, when I find a more convenient season, I'll call you back. Guess what? He never found another convenient season. He lost his moment. And, and maybe that's why Paul <coughs> would write this to the church at Corinth. Indeed, the right time is when, come on church, say it out loud, is now say it again. Indeed, the right time is now. And today is the day of salvation. I feel like God has led me to James chapter 4 to tell somebody those words, the right time for you is right now.